Welcome to episode number 265 of Vigigame Apocalypse. I am your evil robot doppelganger host, Matthew Rallen, who's here in the Michael Rapares Memorial Chat Room with me. Uh, alternate reality Battlefield 5 with all men, Chris Antista. <laughs> Cap Bailey, editor-in-chief of US Gamer, and I wish I had a, a witty way to introduce myself, but not tonight, I'm afraid. Uh, but, oh, that Battlefield 5 thing with... Uh, uh, it it never ends, does it, Chris? It never, it never ends. ends. Says the woman invading our sausage fest. That's <laughs> what I do. I invade sausage fests all the time, and that totally came out wrong. Stop! You guys are making me hungry talking about sausage fest. Uh, you know what? You know what else didn't exist in World War Two? What else didn't exist in World War Two? Uh, sixty frames a second. Uh, steady cams. Uh, four K resolution. <laughs> I don't know. Just like when does people wearing trench coats <laughs> and looking? It looks like something straight out of Fortnite. To be perfectly honest, I, I don't know what's going on. Everybody wants to be freaking Fortnite now. Ten years ago, it was all gray and awful and dreary and brown, and now it's like we're colorful and borderline cartoony. Well, you know what else didn't exist in World War Two, guys? What's that? The- topic of this week's episode just as a reminder in these interim episodes each week we're going to be doing a top five based around a particular topic and the thing that didn't exist back in world war ii was androids well I, i'm gonna to have to disagree with you because you. In, in comics back in that Thank time you. period uh sci-fi writers were definitely imagining androids it, it's like someone's never read hellboy it's <laughs> <laughs> okay. didn't actually exist i should say so today's topic is the well, I'm I'm going to call it "Do Androids Dream of Vigi Games?" But it's uh, it's the top androids in Vigi Games. And do you guys have any idea why I'm picking androids for this week's episode? Which actually uh, I didn't pick. Full credit. This is Dave, uh, the Diamond Dog Rudden's idea. He gave me this idea. So Diamond you, Dog, Deadpool Two, Rudden, who's on bonus time this week, talking with me about Deadpool Two. Biggity bonus time with Daver. patreoncom time. He gave me this idea, uh, and and this is tied to guys. What, what's coming out this week that might have one or two or maybe three androids in it? Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go on a limb and say it's because androids are cool mm-hmm. and an excellent way to explore humanity and the nature of ourselves. Oh, keep well, it, keep it how your pants about oh, oh, you with your hand up over there in the corner? What's your name? Jason. Yes, yes, Jason. <laughs> Uh, you at the corner. So the answer there is actually it's the release of Quantic Dreams, uh, Detroit Become Human, which is David oh. Cage's latest masterpiece, um, which is all about androids, um, which, of course, means this time we expect the actors to sound like this. Jason, wait for me. Wait for your dad, son. <laughs> it's really crowded in here. I am your dad. You must respect me. Jason! <laughs> I'm going... I'm here to buy you a balloon, Jason. <laughs> the greatest video game moment in all history, in my opinion, is the glitch in which they're screaming "shut!" <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> in the entire uh, the entire climax as they're running around, and <laughs> if Detroit Become Human has something similar to that, it's going to be my game of the year. Full stop. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> wow! There you have it here first, folks. It's right there. I realize how much <laughs> I love the title, the subtitle of the game, until you imagine Johnny Five saying it. Become human. Yes. <laughs> well, I do have to point out in press releases for this game, um, they mentioned that this time they got actual Los Angeles actors to play some of the roles. Oh, my God. So he, he, might have, 
he might have gotten the feedback that uh, this didn't exactly sound like a mirror. Jason! I want my French Canadians. <laughs> it's not a quantic dream French, game without him. French Canadian, real French. I think they got some Finnish people in there. I don't know. Oh, uh, whoever they got in Los Angeles probably had much better working conditions than they would have had well, quantum wow. quantic dreams. I, yeah, I went there, folks. Yeah, Did you? I, I wasn't going to bring it up. But. Wait, tell me, Ken. I want to know. <laughs> Oh, I mean, there were the French reports of uh, reports in French newspapers that the uh, lots of body jokes going on, uh, very uncomfortably sexualized posters and that really? kind of thing that made uh, female employees at the studio uncomfortable. It was kind of a bad look. I, I think at one point, David Cage actually was conducting an interview in front of one of these posters and. Somebody actually wow. pointed it out to him, and he's like, oh, what this? But he's actually suing the French media over it. It's, it's not a great look going into their latest big-budget game. <laughs> latest money loser, first-party money loser. Hey. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, um, I, I want to say, prestige media. It, it's mm-hmm. supposed to make the PlayStation 4 look good and right. Like on the very cutting edge of narrative, and it hasn't really worked so far. Well, I think at the time it was announced it was supposed to do that, but it's been delayed so many times that now it's coming out. I mean, anything post yeah. God of War, it's going to be tough to look that great. Although I will say the character well, models do look pretty good. Well, let's be honest. Beyond Two Souls kind of kind of took the air out of the balloon that David Cage was a narrative master, right? And he... I think he has a lot of ground to make up with Detroit Become Human, and it feels like the entire run-up to the release of this game has been pretty much everybody mercilessly dunking on every single extremely earnest uh, trailer that they've been putting out. <laughs> yeah, yeah know, that's. It, it, I always point. try and, like, we should give him credit for trying to push the medium forward in a way that no other game is, but mm. I think the blooms off the rose. <laughs> There's only so yeah. many times you can make an incredibly awkward game about the human experience. Well, I've met the man. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him. And uh, God bless him. He is a very earnest man. He really believes everything that is coming out of his mouth in terms of how he wants to put out the narrative. He he really feels like he is an auteur. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that really reflects in his work because when... A writer lacks a certain degree of self-awareness. It tends to, uh, it appears in their work. Their work becomes pretty stiff, and I think you're seeing that certainly huh. in Detroit Become Human. That is an excellent diagnosis. Because I, <laughs> I said at the very least, the dude usually scrapes up against something innovative that someone else will make better a few years down the line. But I don't know if that's the case because I didn't touch Beyond Two Souls. Yeah, I, I mean, if anything, we know... There's probably some common themes that he will touch on that tend to appear in every uh, medium that touches on androids. And, and so, you know, those are kind of the common tropes, things like what defines humanity or, or another yeah. take on that would be humans are the real monsters in, in all of this. Hey, um, you had this. Look at this. You had this switch on self-awareness. um and and perhaps the third trope i discovered while creating the top five which is dudes get super thirsty for female androids it's a weird phenomenon well maybe what's or nuts which i know we're going to talk about that i'm not going to say that didn't happen to me (laughs) what's or nuts (laughs) i guess wait i'm double time inappropriate lusting after a game character (laughs) with male genital references somebody fire me (laughs) So, yeah, you know, the one thing, though, that is also common with um, anytime you see androids in the media is this little thing we like to call 
the uncanny valley. Are you guys familiar with the expression and kind of what it's referring to? Yeah, it's it's on HBO every Sunday, and I, I like Camila Anangiani <laughs> on it, and it's really good. Barry's a great leader. I've been to Uncanny Valley. <laughs> I vacation there every summer. Yeah, yeah unca- no, it's not that such uncanny. a crap joke. You have a so great, in- I don't have an articulate definition of Uncanny Valley, but it's just like what it's like the the closer you get to portraying reality, the further you get from it. Yeah, so I I did some marketing on the movie iRobot, and actually they sat us down and gave us a presentation on this um, because I did not you know, murder iRobot him was, was about androids, um, and basically what it means is yes, the closer that technology gets to reproducing humans, there's a human instinct where we will just automatically start to recognize that it's not a real human. We it's mm. you know there is this uncanny valley that you can never seem to cross to say okay this machine is actually a human. And it's funny because I mean that is a that's a problem video games probably will always face. Um but and it's also a problem that people who are in the robotics uh, fields they face every day is is how far mm. and how do we push the envelope to make a robot seem human? Um, without going too far and creeping people out. So the Uncanny Valley, like the, the end result is it ends up scaring a lot of people because they can tell something is, is off, wrong. something is wrong. If you want uh, a picture, if you want the dic- dictionary definition of Uncanny Valley and then you look at the picture next to the entry, it is in fact a picture of Princess Leia and Grandma Tarkin from Rogue One. Uh, right. Because like, I remember looking at, at uh, Mr. Moff in in, Ru- in, <laughs> Mr. in Rouge One, and it's like show some this, respect. That's Mr. Moth. That's this the grand looks, Mr. Moth. This looks real good, but I know something's wrong, and I can't put my finger on it. I can't tell what it is. I did. I wasn't even sure that actor was dead, even though his face in the seventies gives it away. <laughs> He's like, wait a minute, that guy looks exactly the same. He's from nineteen seventy seven. What the hell? Yes, there's not worms crawling through his face. This can't be. Um, <laughs> But, uh, well, yeah, just that's... think in five years, that's probably not going to look so good to you anymore. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's a reason that I think Uncanny Valley is a thing. And it goes back to, so my, my friends have a kid and she's very young. She's like three years old. And they were talking about, uh, she was like, I have a bow because I'm a girl. And they said, well, I mean, boys can wear bows too because they're very, you know, they're they're into that. They're like, okay, no, it's cool. Like, we're not going to get very gendered on right here. And she's like, but I'm a, I, I wear a bow because I'm a girl. And we were trying to figure out where she got this idea because, I mean, it's not like we're sitting here going, like, we didn't sit her down and go, you are a girl, therefore you wear a bow. And we think it's because all the media she's looking at, yep. the books that she's looking at, the girls are wearing bows. Mm. And the upshot of all this is, we as humans unconsciously are processing so many cues and so many social everything. It's what we're designed to do. Mm-hmm. And when we look at these characters who are animated, a little thing in our back of our brain like is noticing all the missed cues, the, the natural movements and that kind of thing. And as a consequence, it just feels weird no matter how realistic it looks. Hmm. I think that's that's actually a great point, uh, and that's how you end up with things like... Jason, wait for me. Wait for your dad, son. <laughs> it's really crowded in here. Yeah, it, uh, man, I was just in, in, a, in a store with a an eight-year-old girl, and there, there are popular bow YouTuber girls who are, like, underage and have their own products in Walmart. 
Bows are crazy huge right now. And it was, the when I was a kid, it was the only way to distinguish who I was allowed to be attracted to. So Miss Pac-Man, fine. Minnie Mouse, <laughs> fine. Daisy Duck, fine. But remove that bow and eyelashes. You are in love with Donald, Mickey, and Pac-Man. <laughs> well, what you're telling me is that you were in love with Miss Pac-Man. Yeah, of course I was. You see the well, games on that, that sphere? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Miss Pac-Man was a tough broad. <laughs> he really was. It had a much better game. <laughs> That's very true. So um, before we go into the top five, I just want to kind of outline some ground rules here, uh, as Michael sometimes likes to do. So um, and this is going to prevent me, hopefully, from getting a lot of uh, people in the comments complaining, well, that's technically not this, but uh, it probably won't prevent that. But here here goes anyway. Uh, The definition we are going to apply here uh, for an Android is a robot with a human like appearance or characteristics or that behaves like a human. Um, So what that means is. That's there's a difference between an android and just a robot, you know. So um, it's it's an R two D two C three PO situation, sort of. Yeah, yeah. But although I don't think any of the entries on here look as robotic as C three PO, but yeah, that's a great example. So R two D two is totally a droid, looks like a robot, is not a, you know bipedal, anthropomorphic, whatever. Uh, yeah. So so our definition C three PO is clearly like to... make is meant oh, to make wait. humans. What about the gal in Superman three who gets turned into a robot? Jesus oh Christ! God, Kat, can we go that. through one podcast without you mentioning <laughs> Superman three? <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, that gave me so much nightmare fuel as a kid. Uh, like the wow. most intense of nightmare fuel. <laughs> so. I just say, like, what's the line here? Is she an android or is she a human that became a robot? Oh, I can't. I, I'm having a hard time remembering it. I oh my god, cat. Because she just, goes into the machine and it turns her like it covers her in wires and then she becomes a robot. Wait, right? This was in three. At what point did Richard Pryor show up? Off uh, the first thirty uh. minutes with no <laughs> Superman. <laughs> this was definitely Superman three. I looked it up. Because oh, I was, it, because that scene traumatizes me to this day. It's, yeah, it's definitely. I, you can, I, you can, I have completely, like PTSD, just blocked that part of that movie out. All I remember is the Richard Pryor bits. <laughs> I wish I could. Well, it's, wait, is she? It's probably for the best. And she's like trapped against her will, right? Yeah. No, like she falls into the machine and it like starts covering her with wires and everything and she freaks out and is like ah and then she comes ah, out okay and she's like a zombie and she's a robot and later on superman falls into the machine too but superman being superman does not get turned into a so robot i would okay classify her as a cyborg then because that All is a right. fusion of oh. human characteristics and so yeah that means things like our everyone's favorite cyborg robocop does not make this list um mm. so yeah cyborgs off the table Regular old robots off the table. The other thing I wanted to do is really these have to originate in video games, not movies or TV. So that Got means it. the T-800 is off the list from the Terminator series, meaning also even if they had a video game such as Terminator meets Robocop from Sega Genesis, that's off the list. Things like Evil Bill and Ted from their bogus journey, off the list. Fembots from Austin Powers, off the oh. list. Blade Runner, off the list. Oh. But wait, she uh, they're androids, right? All of them are androids, but they did not originate in video games. These are from movies or TV. Oh, so that means... Fair enough. So Star Trek fans, I don't want to hear about Data, all right? I fucking know about Data, all right? Uh, and I know, I know Kat is a Star about Trek fan. <laughs> data is an android. <laughs> Let me tell you a bit about Data. You may have heard that I like Star Trek. It also means that, yeah, we, we don't want to talk about when Picard became part of the Borg, okay? So we don't want... What was his... Uh, well, that would make him a cyborg. 
Yes, that, right. He was a cyborg, not an android. So again, this is a new word that I learned in this episode. There we go. The, the, so those are the ground rules. It has to be an android, not a cyborg, not a regular robot. Has to have originated in gaming. So let's see if we can overcome the uncanny valley and get past our fear of a robot apocalypse after the break. Let's get scratching. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show 302010. Here's a clip from 1998. I, I just read it as it was put down the dock. I just said Snoop Doggy Dog, which is like the widest way you can pronounce his name. <laughs> That's um, what it was back then. He, it was listed as Snoop Doggy Dog. Yeah. He's Snoop Lion, and we all know it. The only wider way to do it is to say, that's Snoop Dogg or whatever he's calling himself these days. I, I remember I was, at, I was at an assembly in middle school, and it was Black History Month, and like the black vice principal is talking about famous people in black history, and like everyone, Harriet Tubman, and no one's saying anything. And then she starts getting the, like, and Icy Cube, and then she, <laughs> and then she just gets into, and of course... And this is like right after Doggy Style dropped. Everyone's favorite, Snoopy Dog Snoop. (laughs) (laughs) Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on LazerTimePodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with our top five, which is Chris. Uh, Android's dreaming of appearances in games. Sure, or just the top androids in video games. How about Ah, I see. And let's start off with... Number five. You moron. What the hell are you doing? I said bounce it off. Well, don't look at me. It got stuck on its own. It's not my fault. Whatever. Just get rid of it. Hey, it's a girl. She might be cute, you know? (laughs) (laughs) My ass, you sicko. Who the hell cares how she looks? She's dead. Exactly. Besides, she's facing the other way. It's a shame we can't meet face to face. (laughs) Oh my god. Please open your communications line. I need to speak with you. Frequency 2020. A talking corpse! You moron! Open your eyes! (laughs) That ain't no corpse! This ain't happening. This ain't happening! It, it's a realian, or a cyborg, something like that. No, dude, we said no cyborgs, first of all. So, uh, any guess, guys, what we were just listening to? <clears throat> hmm. Well, judging by the terrible voice acting, uh, it's a PlayStation 2 era JRPG. Mm. Mm. Any guesses which JRPG? Well, I mean, there were no shortage of JRPGs on the PlayStation 2, but as I have peeked at the show notes, <laughs> oh, I'm going to say Xenosaga. Oh, good. Okay. I was never going to get that. Well, so that is actually, <clears throat> yes, from Xenosaga. I mean, I wouldn't blame you if you yes. got it confused because there are so many versions of Xeno. There's Gears, Blade, Saga, but this is actually a scene uh, featuring Cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S, mm. from Xenosaga. Um, and dude, first of all, there's a fucking lot to unpack in that. So let's just talk about the fact what's happening in that scene is there is a corpse floating through space and these guys on the ship say, well, what's that piece of debris? Do we go around it? They hit it, realize it's a corpse. And the first thing that one dude does is like, "Ah, it's a girl. And then the other guy's like, yeah, you're a sicko. 
you know, whatever, that's, that's a corpse. And the one guy goes, yeah, plus turn her around. We want to see her face. Like, so it's not stopping him that she's a corpse. It's stopping him that he wants to see her from the front. Like, what the hell? I mean, it's space. You clearly don't come across a woman very often. And yeah, and it's obvious that that ship is a sausage fest. <laughs> and oh my God, they, you can tell that they've been in space for a very long time. Oh, goodness. And they haven't seen any gals. And here we go, right there, floating through space. There's a gal. Or what looks like a There's gal. There's a gal. And I like that that one dude, apparently his catchphrase is just, ya morons? Like, that's the captain of the ship. And he says it twice in that clip. I just imagine, like, parties. It's like, oh, man, I really hope Captain Andrews doesn't show up tonight. Oh, yeah. But fucking him with that ya morons line. Hey, ya morons, what are you talking about? Oh, oh nothing, Captain. We're just uh, hanging out, you know? It's really demoralizing, Captain. There's only three of us on this ship. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Management pro tip: Don't call your employees morons. <laughs> They'll start getting hot for a corpse in space. <laughs> so Cosmos, as um, as Michael referred to Cosmos, it was a very memorable android from an unmemorable series. Although I would say it's um, it is memorable for one thing, which is its awesome German subtitles. So Xenosaga had episode one had the subtitle "Der Wille Macht," which means the will to power. Uh, I'm totally going to mispronounce this one, so apologies to any German. Sequel to the hit film Triumph of the Will. There you go. Uh, so the episode two was Jensuts von Gut und Böse, which means Beyond Good and Evil. So was that the first? Love that game. Yeah, Great game. Yep. Yeah, much better coming game. Coming up eventually. Uh, and then the uh, episode three, Also Sprach Zarathustra, which of course means So Spoke Zarathustra, which is, it's also the name of a popular classical song, I believe. So, but yeah, so Cosmos was uh, an android character featured in the series that she would always show up and just kind of she she could kick ass. Um now Kat, are you familiar with the Xeno Saga or Xenoblade or Xeno Gears at, at all? I was hoping you could help me here because I researched <laughs> it and I am still so in the weeds. All right. Well, the original Xeno Gears was the uh, the project of a person whose name I do not remember at this very moment, and I apologize. Um, is but it he, Tetsuya Takahashi, I, I Mitsuda, if I'm correct. But um, Tetsuya Takahashi. Yeah. Yes, there you go. Mitsuda was did the soundtracks, but <clears throat> yeah, he um, he had worked on the Final Fantasy games back in the '90s, uh, and this was his big chance. And the director's chair was Xenogears on the PlayStation. And it almost ruined his health. Uh, and famously, that game had, well, the second the second disc was pretty much unfinished. Uh, it was just a lot of talking, a lot of still shots, and then some boss battles as they frantically tried to wrap it up. Xenosaga, he was given, he went over to Bandai Namco, and he had a larger budget this time around. And they were going to do like six games. It was crazy. They were going to continue from the PlayStation 2 all the way into the PlayStation 3. I mean, they had the, they had the balls uh, to call it Episode 1. Obviously, that never happened. One. They called it Episode 1 from the first game. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, the, this was a bold stroke at, yeah. at, at the time. It's like, yeah, we're doing like five or six episodes. We've got this massive overworking thing. Because if there was one thing that Tetsuya Takahashi did, and for, I think I got the name right this time. I'm really bad at names. I no, apologize. You, got it. you nailed it. Um, it if there was one thing he did, it was big friggin' narrative arcs. Like the original Xeno Gears was from like the beginning of history. It spanned thousands of years and multiple lifetimes, right? This is what he does in Xeno Saga was in much the same vein. 
And ultimately, no one really remembers Xenosaga. They only remember Cosmos because Cosmos appears in, well, a lot of crossover games from Bandai Namco. She's appeared in Project Cross Zone. Uh, she's been a guest star in various other games. I think she was a fighting character in Soul Calibur, I want to say. Well, so yeah, she's been kind of everywhere. You mentioned his, his panache for games with epic scope. So, again, still in the weeds. I don't really understand this, but Cosmos is apparently a, pr- a prototype for another monster, T-Elos, probably pronounced Telos in the games. I don't know. Um, and her whole purpose, she's intent. Telos is intended to be a, the vessel and resurrection of Mary Magdalene from the Bible, the, the woman Jesus that traveled Christ. with Jesus Christ. Is and Jesus the- Christ is featured in the Xenosaga games. It's like his name's Jesus, similar characteristics, but he's like just different enough. I, I don't know. Is this reeks of someone trying Jesus? to make the last video game. <laughs> it's got everything. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I mean, this was a common trait of this period yeah. where developers are like, at last, I have all of the tools to be able to tell the ultimate story. <laughs> I've been watching all these movies, and these pathetic 8-bit sprites could never do it, but now I have polygons, <laughs> and these polygons will tell the most amazing thing. And so you get games like Xenosaga. Yeah. And uh, Takahashi never really let go of that desire to tell a story because he, he's still at it with the, the Xeno games. Um, right. uh, heading from uh, the Xenoblade uh, Chronicles and into Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which just came out last year. Exactly. And actually, that's his other big feat is I think he's one of the only people, if you were to consider Xenogears, Xenosaga, and Xenoblade as a franchise... Um, and they do have consistent themes, uh, but he's one of the only people to publish the same franchise across three different publishers because Xenoblade mm-hmm. is published by Nintendo. Uh, and actually, that leads me to my next clip, um, another Android storyline that takes place in Xenoblade. So I will say this is a fairly recent game. If you plan on playing Xenoblade Chronicles X, you might want to skip ahead, oh, let's say 30 to 45 seconds, uh, just... This is a mid-game spoiler, let's just say that. Before we go any further, I wanted to apologize. I should have realized you might have forgotten about this, but... As you probably noticed, the body you're inhabiting is artificial. We call them mimeosomes. Mims for short. Mimeosomes are designed to mimic human physiology as much as possible. The whole point is for us to forget about them. That way we can still enjoy the things we love. Like cooking. Like cooking, you know, boys. you just fucking forgot you were a robot because I love cooking. <laughs> this food I don't eat. Yeah. He loves to play with identity as well. That's like one of the major tropes that you see in his games. This happens in the original Xenogears as well, where the main character, of course, is amnesiac and has multiple personalities. Um there's the coward and the id and all that kind of thing. So it's not surprising to me <clears throat> that he would have in Xenoblade Chronicles X, a game that for the most part doesn't actually have a ton of story. It's just a lot of exploring an open world that all of the characters turn out to be robots and they didn't even realize that he, that's another theme that's pretty common Takahashi's work. Yeah. The, um, Basically, that reveal was saying all humans have put their consciousness in, in a thing called the life hold, and you are just controlling androids. So every single human in New Los Angeles um, is is a, an android, and basically you're out to try to find and protect the life hold 
so that when they find it's one of those typical sci-fi things like we have to go find a safe planet or safe haven for us so you know when they do they can put their consciousnesses back into new vessels so uh that's basically the story of uh chronicles x i haven't played xenoblade uh chronicles 2 so i don't even know if it continues that story or if it starts it all off but given this franchise i wouldn't be surprised if it just hit the reset button yeah i've I've only played the 3ds one but i gotta say i was looking at switch games in the store today and it it was just like yeah i I already own tropical freeze maybe it's time to give the xenoplakes thing a a try it's like the, the most alluring thing on switch right now having played all the other big first party stuff I mean, yeah, if you have a spare 200 hours, you fucking might as well. I do not. Yeah, it's all right. Um, I played a, a good 40 hours of that game. And actually, weirdly enough, uh, I think the story was the worst part about it. Really? <laughs> uh, the characters didn't do much for me. The character designs are really awful in that game. Really? Uh, but the battle system is fun. And the, the graphics are really nice, actually. And really nice open world games. So I, I think that you just kind of have to shut off your brain when the characters are actually talking. But uh, getting back to Cosmos, um, one uh, maybe perhaps one common thread that we're going to see throughout this list uh she struggles with emotions emotions are not a thing for her um she has a simulated personality os to aid in communication and oh yeah she's like a complete badass she's you know she can spawn all kinds of crazy guns and everything Mm. which is pretty awesome and uh, I expect that the target audience would just love a really hot female android that can (laughs) spout all the guns and oh by the way is not emotional I mean, as hot as one can look on the PS2 rendered polygons, like you said, because I, it was a little rough when I was going back to to capture those cinematics. I went, ooh, that wasn't that long ago, but that doesn't look so good. It was long enough ago. I mean, that was, I think it came out in 2000, ugh, God, I want to say 2003. So that's 15 years ago at this point. Uh, she kind of ends up looking like Hatsune Miku's not-so-attractive cousin that you end up stuck with while your buddy goes in. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Miku. I can't believe that she hasn't made an appearance as a Vocaloid yet uh, in one of her many, many, many guest appearances. Fair enough. So speaking of someone who was a Vocaloid but does end up having a transformation to make the list, here is our... Number four. Still getting used to greeting people in person? No. I require only one occurrence to adapt to a new concept. How are you adjusting to the arms and legs? I am interested to see how this body performs under real combat conditions if I could accompany you sometime. Without stress testing, there is no way of knowing if it has series design oversights. At the moment, it appears adequate. That's not the word I'd use to describe you. Easy there, Joker. Oh. <laughs> so remember how I said dudes get thirsty for androids? Uh, that's a great example. Uh, yeah, that really um, plays out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, Joker seems quite pleased with... Um, this is from... I mean, you guys, again, have peaked in the show notes, but does, if, does anyone want to guess? Is this Commander Shepard and the Real Girl? <laughs> Close enough. This is, <laughs> this is Edie from the Mass Effect series, and Edie stands yes. for Enhanced Defense Intelligence. Um, and yeah, basically, it's an AI unit that was created by Cerberus to control Normandy 2 in Mass Effect 2. Uh, and then, due to some other events that occur in the series... Um, she eventually is able to jump out of the ship or, or kind of create a copy because she stays in the ship. Yeah. Um, 
into the body of an android and joker's super excited about it in fact he his response is can you believe this commander it's my baby better than new it fits me like a glove whoa 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 there joker eesh is that how it worked did she become she get a human form or a android form in three uh it's in three there's a scene in three so there is a a character called dr ava or dr eva that's a cerberus plant and um Base, she there's like a side mission where she gets exposed as an AI in an android body, um, but and she her main core uh, so she she gets kind of destroyed, and then Edie comes and takes over that body, fixes it up, mm-hmm. and like I said, is kind of a carbon copy of herself. She plants her consciousness in this uh, AI's body, and so she now has a mobile form, a version of herself. And she looks like Fritz Langy as shit. I love, I do love like the oh, all metal yeah. design. No, very Metropolis, isn't yeah. it? Well, actually, yeah. In the um, in, in a bit of trivia, there it is said that her look is inspired by the uh, android Maria from the nineteen twenty seven science fiction film Metropolis. So she is a direct pull of that uh, of Maria, and that's for, according to the Art of Mass Effect three. I didn't even read that shit. Just knew it. Just knew it off top of <laughs> No, I mean, it. you're right. When you look at her, she's got this cool, uh, is it Art Deco? I don't know what the stylings you would call it, but these these really cool, like, Jetsons-type even curves uh, with the, like, her hairdo and everything, where she's the most, on this list, I will say, she's the most robotic-looking, but she is, you know, completely shaped like a human. Yeah. She's just metallic. And, and it's, it's what Rosie color. the robot will look like in the reboot of the Jetsons, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very Do you like true. my new breasts, Mr. J? Well, not if it's done by Cartoon Network, and then fanboys will just complain about the new look because it'll look like everything else, right? I don't like how this new show for 10-year-olds looks. I'm going to put it on LinkedIn. <laughs> so when she does jump into this new body, she um, she is able to begin a romantic relationship with Joker. Unfortunately, uh, Bioware didn't have the fucking guts to let Shepard or Femshep romance Edie. They let Joker do it, and Joker's pretty excited about it, as you can hear in this clip. Okay, let me put it this way. If I knew that Edie was going to install herself into a sexy robot body, do you honestly think I'd be able to keep quiet about it? Look at that! I would have baked a cake. I am right here, Jack. Yes, you are, Edie. Yes, you are. <laughs> Down. Very uncomfortable workplace going on right here. <laughs> yeah, that's that taking place on the bridge. Because uh, we all know women love to be referred to as that. <laughs> as something tells me Edie is going to be getting on that Me Too hashtag oh, yeah. not too, from not too long <laughs> Some, from now. Someone's <laughs> going to get a visit from Android HR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the way that they handled Edie kind of reminds me of how Captain Kirk absolutely, supposedly his he romanced every girl in every port and on every planet. But his true love was his ship, ultimately. Gross. Which I guess this is an expression of that because the ship now talks and is like, oh, yeah, Joker. But not really, no. Jo- she's not like that at all. In fact, she's she has very dry humor, yeah. I want to say. So he'll get very ex- excited about a thing and she will respond very dryly. And that's where a lot of her humor comes from. And I think that's one of the appeals of, a, uh, of an artificial intelligence is that they take everything literally often or they have very dry responses to things and as you know in comedy uh comedy always benefits from a a straight man or a straight person or a straight ai i guess in this case and uh edie fills that role to a t if i can extend your metaphor a bit um that is a great comparison cat and actually if you think about it 
the original Edie, or when she's in the Normandy, that was because Joker is disabled. He can't really walk well. And so behind the wheel of a ship is really where he feels most comfortable and he can be himself and kind of in, in his in his mind realize his full potential. And so when he meets Edie, she's the perfect compliment to him because, you know, together it's like, okay, you helped me realize, you know, who I really want to be, which is this pilot. And then once she has this human form, Edie is able to help Joker get around. She's like his mobility assistance robot at that point. So she's kind of going even further than just saying, oh, yes, it's this symbiotic relationship between pilot and ship. Now it's actually, well, in human form, it's also symbiotic because he's benefiting. Actually, the more I think about it, he's just like, using her for lots of things. What the hell? You can do better, Edie. <laughs> well, I think, and I'm not, yeah. not going to go out on a limb. You, couldn't, you don't even get a relationship with Shepard. You have yeah. to uh, settle for Joker? Jeez. Yeah, yeah I mean, Seth Green? Come on now. Yeah, it means you don't get to bang in the DLC because you know Seth Seth Green doesn't show up for that. I wanted to ask real fast. Um, I can barely remember this now, but remember the Mass Effect Three ending? Well, which one? Yes, I, I, the original. Yes, I didn't go back. The and director's the cut or the original? Well, the in the original, uh, certain certain people emerge from your ship, and mine mine was Evie, and I thought it was like, oh, that's a powerful statement. But then I realized different people emerge from the ship in the ending. Um, it all on the, depends on who lived and yeah, how much relationship you had built up with each person. So I think it yeah. was different for all of us. I don't remember and, if Edie emerged from my ship or not. That's just the last time I saw her, like being one of the characters who emerged from the ship in the ending. That's sort of why I didn't go back and play that the Citadel DLC. Is like I felt like I had good closure with that cast. I didn't need to go sit and do the dance party thing with all of them. Was, <laughs> you know, for me, it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I don't need to spend another twenty hours in this world. Yeah, I got to our, I think, our five of Mass Effect 3, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel like I've got good closure with this cast. I think I'm done now. <laughs> Damn. So <laughs> Mass as- Effect 2 was the best one. What do you want? It was so you're telling me I, Axe I like- the Blood God's cat, uh, cat Bailey did not play Mass Effect 3 all the way true. Oh. No, I didn't, because Unbelievable. Mass Effect uh, Mass Effect 1 and 2 were were great, and then Mass Effect 3 just bored me to tears. I couldn't figure it out. Really? I mean, I liked all of them. They they were all different enough where I liked them each for different things. I, I was into the lore. I wanted to see the thing through. I even did. Did you guys do the whole build up your power before you played the game through the mobile app and, and all the side stuff? Oh, no. I, I, I did. I did. And I do I do think... Did you? Yeah, 2 two was two might be my favorite game of that generation. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. really... I'm 30, 20, 10 this week. You guys know what that show is, right? We talk about 30 things that happened 30, 20, and 10 years ago. Yeah, save it for the plugs, though, man. Well, it, it Mass Effect <laughs> Mass Effect landed on PC. I totally forgot that it was like a 360 exclusive for a long time, mm. and the PS, yeah, PS3 owners like never had an opportunity to play Mass Effect. Well, because until first way later, Mass Effect was a Microsoft published game, and then yeah. EA acquired Bioware, and so they got to, yes, they acquired the rights to publish this franchise after two, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually got yeah. packaged in the trilogy, but I'm just. It was just odd to think about 10 years ago, if you went PlayStation, you could not play one of the best games of that generation. That I mean, would from you, a, would hmm. you say that you loved the Mass Effect series as much as Joker loved? Can you believe this, Commander? It's my baby! Better than new! It fits me like a glove! <laughs> so, so, you know who would not tolerate ungentlemanly-like behavior like that is our next android on the list, which is... Number three! After a while, the jobs got so backed up, they didn't even ask me to do the handyman stuff anymore. Hell, I was so happy to do it, it was months before I started charging anyone. 
I never stopped being Nick the Synth, but it was Nick the Detective folks came to see. It was about then that things, uh, well, things finally started feeling normal. It took me a long time to realize that home is where you make it. Ah, uh, yes. I love the that the lines just dripping with noir coming from uh, our third entry, Nick Valentine from Fallout 4. Did you guys mm. spend any significant time with Nick in your playthrough? I did. I completed his entire, uh, his main quest, actually, because he was <laughs> by far my favorite character in that entire game. Really? Yeah. I think he might be my yeah, favorite Yeah, because, I mean, companion. he's just, well, first of all, he's... He's acted so well, like uh, the voice actor, and forgive me, I don't have the voice actor off the top of my head, because as I have already said, I'm extremely bad with names, which means that I'm an amazing journalist, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Nick Valentine, he just immediately stands out to you, right? Like he shows up and he has this, I mean, he's broken down, right? Like he's not this shiny looking android like the rest of the others. The others look like they kind of come out of Blade or... Perhaps Blade Runner, just the way that they're dressed, right? The, very the ones from the institute, very well dressed and cool. Yeah, sorry, the ones from the institute certainly they're they're all kind of newer yeah. and fixed up. But he's all he's like messed up. He's wearing a dusty, crappy old trench coat with a with a hat, and he just sounds so uh, he sounds so forlorn. Uh, I, I forget. He's got his fedora, <laughs> you know? see, and he sounds like Sam Spade, see. <laughs> yeah, but I just I immediately wanted to have him around and. Of course, as you get to know him, um, he has a, 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 I don't want to say tragic storyline. He's not him, right? He Correct. He is trying to find, he's trying to create his own identity because the identity he's been given, and he was given an identity, mm. is that of a dead man, a, a guy who's long gone, Correct. right? And he's trying to come with grips with these memories that aren't his yeah, but they are his. Well, it, it goes uh, even, interesting. It goes even deeper than that. You're right. He is ultimately given Nick's identity, and that's the last identity he's given. But uh, Nick Valentine was he was a Gen two synth that was being experimented on in the Institute as part of an experiment to uh, with independent thoughts for synths. And so over the course of years, they uploaded several personalities into this his body and then erased them. And so. Uh, he was there with, he kind of had this like brother scent that was in with him that they experimented on. Um, the brothers sort of slowly got self-realization, which is another one of those Android tropes that always pops up and decided to escape. And Nick, once he'd gotten this personality uploaded into him, he kind of came to and was confused, started to attack his brother after they had escaped from the Institute. And then he was left just wandering for years. And on the side quest or the companion quest, uh, which is kind of yeah his penultimate quest, which um, really it's 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 a long it's one of the longer side quests where you have to go throughout the wasteland and collect and unlock these terminals with codes to track down this criminal uh, Winter is it Edward Winter who is this old mobster um, and Edward Winter was being investigated by the real Nick Valentine back pre-war and Edward Winter had killed the real Nick Valentine's fiance. And so after that happened, though, it turns out Edward Winter was an informant and they, they shut the case down pre-war and pulled Valentine off the case. And then they told him to seek treatment for PTSD. And that's how his brain got scanned into computer memory banks, which is ultimately how that personality ended up in Nick the Synth. So, yeah, his quest is to go get vengeance for this personality that he knows deep down really isn't him. 
But I think the beauty of the character is he has fully embraced the personality and it has made it become him for uh, probably hundreds of years at that point. Wow. You guys are really making me wish I played Far Fallout 4. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, a lot of people rag on Fallout 4's story and perhaps justifiably so, but I think Nick Valentine is easily the best part of that game. And one of the main through lines of that game is basically, are you pro-synth? Are you or are you anti-synth, right? Uh, it's an actually, Nick has some great responses when he encounters people mm. throughout the world who are anti-synth, such as... What the hell is that thing doing here? Not what your parents used to say to you. How they can just let those things just walk around here, I will never understand. Yeah, I guess we can add that to the list then. Don't you try anything funny, <laughs> synth. Why? Because you wouldn't understand why everyone's laughing again? Oh, God, you're here to snatch me, aren't you? Lucky for you, I expect the Institute has standards. Humans in league with sense. Disgusting. Don't pay them any mind. Not that they'd know what to do with one anyway. Honestly, are we just going to let this monster infiltrate our home? Let you in, didn't they? <laughs> Hashtag Nick is savage, man. I love his responses. <laughs> Um, yeah, I would say, Kat, he's probably my favorite companion of the entire Fallout franchise. He's the best written. He he has this moral compass that the other companions don't have. And it is so well acted that he kind of, he will make you feel guilty. If you play like me and you're basically just a walking a pack mule that has to collect everything, he'll make you feel bad if you try to steal someone's stuff. Like, he does not like that. He doesn't like when you're sarcastic. Uh, in fact, if you are sarcastic and give him a little lip, you're going to get a response like this. You know, why don't you just shut the hell up for once? I swear you care more about sounding smart sometimes than you do about who has to listen to it. <laughs> if, if there is a line yeah. that describes the Laser Time Network better, I can't think of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he diffuses racists, um, and there are a lot of racists in this game, uh, with gentle good humor, I, I think, and... Maybe he, more than anybody in that game, made me immediately sympathetic toward other robots. And he does things like he goes up to other robots and he goes, you doing OK? Like, we're all in this together. Uh, he, he's saying this to the Japanese sushi robot in um, uh, in Fenway Park. Right. Yeah, well, it's Fenway, like, don't which, let people get on you just because you don't speak their language. Yeah. And Fenway has been converted to Diamond City. Um, and actually, yes. I guess we kind of brushed over it. One of the cool things about Nick is once he realized kind of his backstory of who he really was, he set up shop and opened up a detective agency in Diamond City after first coming there. Uh, and this is a city in, in the wasteland where everyone's, like you said, they're sort of racist. They're afraid of synths because the Institute sends synths out to like kidnap people and get people. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're afraid of them. But um, they slowly start to accept Nick and take him in after he does like – a bunch of odd jobs around he proves he's a good guy he helps solve like one mystery where like the mayor's daughter goes missing or something and he ultimately does become this like 1930s style noir detective and he's he's living the life uh, and when you encounter him i think you you can encounter him in a vault where he's kind of being interrogated just straight up like something out of your typical noir film and i just i just love the character i love that he is he does have this rich backstory that frankly, is probably written better than a lot of the main story of that game. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, he is he's one of my favorite androids in all of pop culture, uh, not just this game. And if you 
if you uh, play Fallout 4 and you really like Nick Valentine, make sure you get the uh, Far Harbor DLC because uh, they expand on it still further on his story. So, Though, of course, if you play with him enough, eventually he'll confront you about the Eddie Winter storyline. And if you accept it, uh, it's a long quest. Yeah. That's... And, but he will bug you constantly to do it. Yeah. So you'll be hearing a lot of... So we're going to get back to the hunt for Eddie Winter? Yeah. And you're like, oh, yes, shut up. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Pro tip is um, explore the wasteland first to open up a lot of those map fast travel points and then take mm. him along as your companion. So because basically, yeah, it's it will tell you where to go next. It will be like all the way across the map. You'll unlock a terminal and then have to go all the way across another one. It takes forever. Uh, and the payoff is you confront uh, Winter, who is still alive because he's become a ghoul inside basically his bomb shelter and you can like most things in fallout you have a choice you can make you can kill him outright or do some other things and and of course nick will have an appropriate response but of course we've been we've been prattling on around nick he would probably tell us at this point you know why don't you just shut the hell up for once i swear you care more about sounding smart sometimes than you do about who has to listen to it fair enough which leads us to our next entry number two Everything that lives is designed to end. We are perpetually trapped in a never-ending spiral of life and death. Is this a curse? Or some kind of punishment? I often think about the god who blessed us with this cryptic puzzle and wonder if we'll ever have the chance to kill him. This is like the same concept you were talking about earlier, like a, an arc for androids. Yeah, if anything, this game on this list in our number two entry best exemplifies the typical android arc. Um, you guys know what game that was from? Near Automata. The I would say last year's most talked about game, this side of Breath of the Wild, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think a, a, a sad loser of Game of the Year uh, next just happened to come out during the... A year where the best Zelda came out. Jesus. Sorry. Yeah, Automata, I think, came in number two on our list. Did it? And in fact, it got three first two three uh, first place votes, but somehow didn't end up winning because I think Breath of the Wild ultimately had the highest overall ranking, the o- highest aggregate ranking. But mm. yeah, no. Uh, Nier Automata, I think um, uh, nobody was really expecting it to be good. <laughs> and then, yeah. or no, sorry, people expected it to be good, but it's not like UG or. It's not like he had a a, a great track record, the, the developer. Well, and you mean Yoko Taro, which I would say, ne- yes. yeah, this Nier Automata is probably his masterpiece or, or maybe one oh, of his absolutely. first masterpieces. So I would say probably it didn't win Game of the Year last year because gameplay-wise, I did have some some problems with that game. and, and, and It was hacky slashy, but it was yeah. fine for the most it part. Was, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. It was some fun platinum combat, that for sure. Yeah. But even the structure and kind of, uh, so maybe spoiler alert. I don't know if you haven't played the game, but just uh, the fact that you have to replay so many sequences—at least that that second playthrough—is a lot of what you already played through. So I, I had some issues there, but I would say in terms of story, it was the clear runaway winner for Game of the Year. Be, you know, because of a lot of the Android themes that game explores, oh, yeah. and so that was what we were hearing was the voice of 2B, which is the first Android you play. And that's the one you see in all the marketing with the short white hair and the blindfold. 
Um, she's one of the main characters of the game. She's accompanied by 9S, who um, is her companion. And then later, so again, a little bit of a spoiler alert, you encounter a third android that features prominently in several of the playthroughs uh, named A2. Um, and so, but the game, I think one of the coolest parts about it is that these are androids and they, and they are designed and meant to look like humanity and look like humans because their whole purpose is to protect humans. But if anything, the game turns that on your head and shows that the robots who are the really kind of almost ugly, really basic looking creatures can in many cases be more human uh, yeah. than the androids themselves, which at times just seem standoffish and cold. Yeah, one of the creepiest early scenes in the game is when you go into the amusement park for the first time and you yep. see the robots that you were fighting and you have, see like little baby robots yep. and they're mimicking like kind of human emotion and you can't really tell what the heck is going on, but it's it's eerie. That was... And I think... It's one of the best atmospheric scenes I've seen in a game in a long time. It was the it was the moment I decided to like the game. Like, oh, this is where I don't know. It hadn't really sunk its hook and hooks into me at that point. But the second you walk in the amusement parks and see these your enemies doing jobs and trying to have fun, and then you go into that machine village, which I just loved. And I I gotta say I bothered Brett Elson to put that song into my. It was one of my favorite game songs of the year. That that weird little machine village uh, theme music, and he said, "No, no, no, it's, we're going to give Nier Automata its own show, which he hasn't done. So blame him." Mm. <laughs> I so wish I had. This it. is a com. This is a common Taro Yoko thing, by the way, where basically his games amount to, "Why do you got to be such a dick? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. why do you got to go in and attack these people? What did they ever do to you, man? How many people have you killed? You must be history's greatest monster." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned the creepy scene of, or sort of semi-creepy, going into the amusement park, which I love because it's like the robotic version of Disneyland with the fireworks show and stuff. I would say hmm. one of the maybe more creepy scenes is a different point of the game where you come up upon a series of robots acting out what seems to be an orgy or they're acting out like one one set is looking like they're they're trying to give birth uh and there's another set it definitely looks like an orgy and then when your characters find them they all start to freak out and they come together and to go along with that theme i was saying of the robots can actually be more human than the androids uh they form two android looking robots uh that um sound something like this brother why do we have to wear undergarments? It's such a hassle. The records claim humans covered their crotches as they went about their business. Revealing one's genitals was seen as problematic. So just be quiet and wear them already. Okay. Advice for Chris to live by right there. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I'm guessing nothing. I just love the, the really matter-of-fact, okay. <laughs> Well, that's so what we just heard. That's Adam and Eve, um, even though they're two brothers. And those are the kind of android spawn of the robots. And they prove to be two of the more human characters in the game in that. And they play a big part uh, where ultimately they kind of end up being the main antagonists of, of the game for a couple of the playthroughs. Um, and, and they are kind of trying to really study humanity. And, and as we heard in that scene, even though I pulled it because it was kind of funny for them talking about underpants, they're trying to understand humanity. He then asks, like, why are we eating this plant matter? Because they they have food in front of them. 
And his brother's saying, you know, just because we are trying to understand humanity, and that's a big theme of the game, is that both the robots and androids are really just intent on studying humanity so they can be more like them. Um, and probably the culmination of that is a character named Pascal that you encounter, who is, she's one of the machines that looks like a machine, doesn't look like an android, but I would say that is probably the most human being-like character with one of the most tragic storylines in all of games ever uh, that is featured in this game. Uh, do you remember encountering Pascal? To be perfectly honest, not really, because <laughs> I didn't get to that point. Oh, that's it's a shame, because Pascal, she is the leader of the robot village that Chris was talking about. Um, ah. And she has... Basically, over the years, she's one of the first robots to sort of start developing human emotions. And she starts taking robots in to the village and is one of the... The village becomes a pacifist village. And when you encounter it, you're kind of surprised because robots were created by the aliens that are invading Earth. Um, they, They are their force to kind of attack Earth. And so that's the reason the androids were also created is to defend Earth against against these robots that were being controlled by the aliens and so pascal you don't know really how to approach pascal at first you think oh this might be an enemy and when you get to that village it's it's this really kind of touching moment they're all okay i remember pascal now my apologies yes (laughs) okay which yeah pascal again i don't want to spoil it for you guys because it's later in the game unless unless you've already reached it but she has one of the and I, call, I say she, even though I think Pascal's supposed to be a man, but it sound, has a very female-like voice. She um, said to soothe, had, the chil- to soothe the robot children, she adopts a female voice. He right. adopts a female there voice. You go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there is an explanation. For, I love how everything mm-hmm. does have an explanation. But yeah, there is a very tragic moment near the end of the game um, that I won't spoil for you, Kat, because you haven't gotten there yet. But it does involve those children. And, and it involves Pascal's fate. And it's one of those things where depend you know no matter what you choose you have to put down the controller almost and take a moment like it's really it hits you really hard mm. so uh, i just i want to make one quick observation even I, I am aware of the big reveal in the game and the second that i the second they laid out the the main storyline for me um with the robots being out in space and all that and trying to clean up earth uh from the aliens so that humans could return um I, I kind of understood. I, I knew what the big reveal was almost immediately. And I was right. I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't finished the game yet. And I'm not as smart as the other people. I don't, I don't know how much I can say to you guys because I don't know where you got in the game. But it's I'm very good. I'm leaving the show. Um, yeah, anyone who hasn't played through at least... You don't need all, what is it, 26 endings. I think there's one for every letter of the alphabet. Yeah. There's pretty much four that you need to get the whole story. Um, if you haven't, like really do go back play the game it is it's amazing the first ending i got was literally in the first scene because i died in the opening like area because i wasn't using enough healing and the game just fast forwards through the credits and basically says it's probably a good thing that you died and that was one of the endings yeah i think my my first ending was i ate a piece of fish you're not supposed to eat (laughs) <laughs> and it warned me. It's like, don't eat this. This will kill androids. And I said, no, nah, that can't be right. And I did it and it killed me. And that was my first ending. So, yeah, there's a lot of those in the game that they totally just fuck with you. Um, I had another one of those early in the second playthrough. 
I just went the wrong direction to start the game. And like five seconds later, it just ends me. It's like, okay, yep. And he went off and did his own thing and wasn't able to complete the story. And I was like, what? Like, I just literally made the wrong turn and it, and it gave me an ending. I loved it. That's amazing. I, it, I, I really do like the ways that it explores consciousness in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, one of the first things that happens is that you have your one of your characters dies, if I recall correctly, and they are brought back to life. And I, it seems that this happens on quite the regular basis in Near Automata, and it plays a lot with uh, resurrection and identity and that kind of thing. And I think identity is certainly something that comes up a lot in all of these games yeah. as these characters are a reflection of the search that we are having for ourselves yeah, because this, we are trying to figure out who we are. Yeah, this game is Existential Crisis the game. Like if it was to have yes. a subtitle, like that's straight up all this game is and it wears it's it. It's like right at the beginning, like the first scene yeah. you're having Existential Crises. Yeah, that first line, it's like we need to find out who God is and kill him. <laughs> like she's really that pissed. <laughs> that, is, that might be the most Taro Yoko line I've ever heard, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see his next one. Can't sit, wait to see more. But I, I that had to make the list, um, and, and it was definitely something that oh, I yeah. kept coming back to as I was thinking of things. But um, not to not to go with the downer. But I want to I want to for our last entry. Let's end this on an up note and a happy note. So here we go with our number one. Who is that bot? Beats me, but he's on our side, so I gotta help him. All in the line of duty. You've got some heavy duty blaster power. You need it when you hunt Maverick Box. Take it easier, you'll bring down the whole plant with them. I must capture Mavericks at all costs. Yeah, that's what I'm worried about. So that is our number one entry, which of course was Mega Man X. X. Oh, which, which Mega Man was it, guys? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. X. Dude, I'm sending that over to the marketing team immediately. It even mentions rock and roll. I was just about to say, little known fact, that song's about uh, Rockman, Mega Man. Uh, no, so this is about Mega Man X, and I had to do that because after last week, I think I'm sort of developing a reputation for kind of rickrolling the listeners with random music drops, so I, I wanted mm-hmm. to get that in there because I love that song. Um, but this is Mega Man X. The reason I had to distinguish with Mega Man X instead of the original Mega Man, who I originally had, and Michael quickly pointed out, well, technically, Mega Man is a robot, even though I will say... I, I, I want to talk about that so bad. Uh, Meg, the Mega Man Vanilla is a robot. Well, wait a minute. What's the difference between Mega Man and X? Oh, X is 100 years after Mega Man. I mean, if you okay. want, I can, I can spoil a lot of stuff. So X was created also by Dr. Light, and he's sort of a, a series two of Mega Man. He's a Blade um, Runner. Yes, he's actually <laughs> referred to as a reploid. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think Mega Man. Technically, I would count him as an android because he has that face. And Michael told me he has seen but commercial wait, wait. art of, of the Mega original Man Mega Man. 
The original Mega Man is sentient. He has self-determination. He wants to fight for justice. And I, so he that's why he becomes a battle robot. Yeah, I think he, he's an android. I, I, and, I, I think he's and a, by the by Mega Man eight and nine, he, he's like going, Why am I fighting this battle? According or to the why official am I fighting comics, for all eternity? What is going on? Will my battle ever end? He's 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 like a janitor robot or something like that. Like he's yeah. he wasn't meant to to take on human characteristics, whereas X is supposed to be human, essentially. Well, yeah, X was developed by Dr. Light. Um, and he was created alongside both Zero and Sigma, uh, who's an enemy that plays a big part in the X series. Um, they are Reploids. They're kind of next-gen versions of Reploids. They, so a Reploid, a technical definition is they're humanoids. They can appear either male or female. They usually have a human face and sometimes hair, as well as bulging armor around the forelimbs and upper body, which, again, I think we're right. Mega Man classifies and counts under all that stuff. But... Um, no, but, but Mega Man X is a Reploid. Reploid, it's, it's a portmanteau of the words replica and android in the original Japanese games. Um, so, yeah, he was featured in Mega Man X, Mega Man ZX, uh, and uh, might be missing. Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. There you go. Mega Man ZX, Spectrum, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I will say, Kotaku also refers to Mega Man as an android. But I had to put X on here just because technically um, Mega Man, people will say, no, he's a robot. Not an android, though I would say he qualifies according to our definition. But what, so here's what I, the, I think he qualifies, but I think that you made the right choice ultimately because X is an android who I, I think has more of an arc. Yeah, like he's he's growing even even from the very first game. He's kind of discovering himself. He's discovering his past. He's there's Doctor Light has five billion upgrades for him all the time, somehow scattered throughout the world. Um, and that's, and, that, and man, he and yeah. Zero actually have stories as composed compared to Mega Man, who, as I already mentioned, <laughs> kind of is fighting for justice. He doesn't really have a story. It's very yeah. It's a it's a lot more like classic adventure manga. Yeah, he's a reason Proto to go out and kill, my brother. kill a bunch of robots. Yeah, but technically, I, I think even some fans might say, "Well, no, you can't include X because he's not technically a Reploid because all Reploid is." The literal definition, it was, it was replicated from, so all reploids do come from X and Zero. Although Zero himself is quoted as saying, even if we reploids, we reploids, are destined to join the scrap heap when the evolutionary step does come about, we still have to fight not only against Mavericks, but against our own destiny as well. So he mentions Mavericks, and you heard in that clip, that was, that was actually a clip of an anime where the original Mega Man meets Mega Man X. And Mega Man X comes off as sort of this like, Hey, I'm the hero, and I'm here to fight, and I really just want to go after Mavericks. And and Mavericks are, that would be, um, like the replicants. Is it replicants yeah. in Blade Runner? The the, yeah. the rogue androids. Yeah, I, I think to be honest, Maverick Hunter is a much better title than for Blade Runner because <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, when I think Blade Runner, I really just think of the 1980 tag team between Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. But that's another thing. <laughs> Well, yeah, what's his name? Ridley Scott, I love that tale. Like he, he bought a script about a guy who sold knives and just liked the title better, so he stuck it on Bla- he stuck it on <laughs> Philip Dick's story. Seriously, it, it had no bearing. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I love Mega Man X so much and having to live in that cacophony of give me a new Mega Man era. It's like, well, what kind of Mega Man? Like, well, Battle Network, of course. I'm like, 
talk to the guy next to you. See if that's the Mega Man he wants. The mm-hmm. reality was you all should have been asking for more Mega Man X because that's – I think that's the formula. Anybody can – fans have been building Mega Man levels for years, like, and they're great. But Mega Man X is a little more difficult and uh, to design. There's not a lot of fan stuff in the X style out there. Uh, yeah. partially because of the, the advanced visuals. But I love the mobility upgrades. It's not just about weaponry. It's about getting faster. Oh, yeah. Mega Man X is, I think, I, I just beat it for the first time last year. I was getting it off my list of shame. On your, I had, on your I SNES played Classic? It for a long, I had played it many times, but I never finished it. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is self-evidently the best Mega Man ever made. Right. And it, it holds up a, just a little bit better than the, like the original Mega Man. I'm not talking about Mega mm-hmm. Man 2. That's been refined a little bit. But Mega Man I X... Must con- I have to confess, I watched Cat play stream that game. I, I just happened to tune in one day on usgamer.net's uh, stream. Well, thank on, you very much. Twitch, oh, I love she, these plugs. This yeah, is great. And she was playing through it. And so I was like, hey, what's this? And one of the things I think is super cool about X, other than the character himself, um, is the fact that they gave lore and backstory to explain the 16-bit upgrade for the series. You know, so that not only was it, hey, the visuals are, are way better than they ever were on NES, it was, well... We're going to place this 100 years in the future because the hardware can do more and the character can look a lot better. So we're going to give that some lore. So X is this all-new character. It's not the original Mega Man, which explains why he has cool powers, better mobility, and looks a hell of a lot better. It confused the hell out of me back in the day, though, because like everybody else, I thought it was Mega Man 10. Me too. Because I was like, I mean, because up until that point, I'd been using Roman numerals. No, it, well, that, like what it confused me because... For whatever reason, at that point, it had made it to six, Mega Man 6 on NES, and there had been four Game Boy games, with like three or four Game Boy mm. games. So I thought that's what... I thought it was 10. I thought that they were counting yeah. the Game Boy games. Well, especially a series coming out of Japan after Final Fantasy, mm-hmm. you can't blame anyone for think for kind of questioning any series numbering at that point. Right, and I, I just I only just like just like today heard a commercial refer to the iPhone X as the iPhone ten, which I have never heard anybody call it the iPhone ten. Yeah, because so didn't confusing. they skip nine? It went just eight. Yeah. Next. Yeah. I just want to make a quick observation that this is the first uh, entry on this list that features a bona fide robot revolution, Damn. which is a another another kind of a trope in these self-aware ai kind of stories so here we go very true and and that revolution you're referring to isn't that basically sigma uh is the leader of the Ma- he he starts out as the head of the maverick hunters and then ultimately his goal i think is to destroy humanity so that the reploids can take over yeah it's, it's not, the story checks out yeah <laughs> i mean r- <laughs> rough, roughly i mean i'm sure fans will correct me but that's my understanding i mean because i got to be honest with you guys like yeah, past the NES stuff, I just lost track of Mega Man X, partly because of that that skip or perceived skip, like we all thought that it went to 10 immediately, and then it just got super confusing with, okay, there's X, there's ZX, there's Legends, there's Battle.net, like, where do I jump back into Mega Man? Which is why I was so relieved when Capcom just came out with, well, first they did the retro reboot, reboot with 9, uh, and then 10, and then they had kind of the, well, here's the legacy collections, which is ultimately going to let people catch up. Hopefully, they'll do a legacy collection that includes some of the other, like like the Legends stuff. Hmm. Nah. <laughs> so I'm going to be one of those people, by the way. I'm going to say that I actually like Zero a little bit more than X. Yeah, as a character? Yeah, just because 
I like that Zero is grappling with the fact that, well, it's heavily hinted that he was created by Dr. Wily. Mm. And I think that dealing with coming from, frankly, terrible roots, but trying to transcend that and be better Mm -hmm. is actually a pretty powerful message as opposed to you have a special destiny and that special destiny is to be the most powerful of the robots. Yeah. (laughs) If I, if I read it correctly, it was, they might've retconned it. So there is some confusion, but at the very least now, I think what they're saying is he had a virus, which might've come from Dr. Wiley because, which did sort of turn him evil for a while. And then, yeah, ultimately he fights against that nature to team up back, back up with Mega Man X. I don't know. Like I said, it's, I lost track. I always read it that he was created by Dr. Wily, which made perfect sense to me because, Mm -hmm. I mean, X is descended from Mega Man. So, and I always thought it was kind of cool that they ultimately ended up teaming up. And of course, Zero ends up going into hibernation for a long time and then comes back in the Mega Man Zero series. But mostly, I think it's cool that he has a rad ponytail and a lightsaber. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Yeah, well, after he gets... Because Sigma has a lightsaber as well, and that that's what takes out Zero in one of those games. And technically, yeah, Possibly unsubstantiated. Well, right? mm. Possibly unsubstantiated, but I think that Inafune originally intended Zero to be the the main character of X. Mm. Yes. But they decided that it was too different and went with um, a more Mega Man-like character instead. Right, yeah, which is, pretty... you know, that's fine, because we got Mighty Number no. 9, so all is well, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> more like it. We can all... <laughs> I mean, if you look, at, I definitely you look, contributed sixty dollars to that Kickstarter. <laughs> I bet you don't regret that one bit. Yeah, um, it's sixty bucks. Yeah, you know. But yeah, so that has been our top five of Ooh. the top gaming androids. Well, go, um, go play Mega Man X. Every I was not bummed. I just like I didn't love. I loved Mega Man Nine, but when they did it again with ten, it was like eh, you can't really recapture that moment again well, what about Mega Man 11 so Mega Man 11 looks to me I'm speculating I don't know this uh, but it, it it looks to be like I think a marriage of Mega Man X because it's overhauled the look and the only weapon they revealed involves mobility where Mega Man's had some like non-offensive weapons before but like they're kind of useless that you can play the game almost entirely without using them uh, unless when is the... this episode coming out, by the way? Um, oh, this is coming out this week. Yeah, we yeah, were Friday. This, this week. Yes. Ah, uh, I can't. I can't say that I've played it then. Ah. Mother, God damn it, cat! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can say I've it. I played but... it, and I know things that okay. I will tell you off the air. Okay, All right, thank God. <laughs> Man, not only do you but, crash the sausage party, you reveal how the sausage is made. But cat. It, yeah, it's, oh, it's, that's what I do. Since it wasn't trying, since Eleven clearly isn't trying to be another NES game, it does look like a bit of a step more towards X than I figured they do with the classic series. It's interesting. I, yeah. I will say that much. It's definitely yeah. interesting. Mm. It's very different. So I can't, I can't wait to play it. I just looked it up here and they, they promised a late 2018 release date. I, I hope they I hope that sticks to that. I need a oh, new yeah. Mega Man game in my life. Cause Japanese developers always deliver on those release date promises. <laughs> <laughs> this one looks pretty far along to be perfectly honest. So I think, I think they'll, they'll be coming on 2018. Yay! That is more like it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> So there were a couple other entries I considered adding to this list, but I didn't know enough about a lot of them, or a couple were just... There's a lot of androids in fighting games. So uh, Ashlot in Soul Calibur 4 is one. 
Uh, you have Elisa Boskanovich from Tekken 6 Bloodline, who is... Oh, does Mokujin count? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, the Working Joes in Alien Isolation. Uh, Kibo from Dagonrompa version 3 is apparently a very popular android that people love. Um, and then, of course, there were several android characters from the Persona series that I just... Hmm. There's too many to catch to, to keep up with at that point. Well, I think one of the main ones is Aegis from Persona 3. Mm. Uh, and I was mentioning how deadpan humor works extremely well with uh, various Android characters, and I think she's the exemplar of that. Mm. Uh, sh- she says things like, uh, we entering ignore mode and that kind of thing, right? <laughs> um, the delivery is uh, a lot better. I, I really like her, uh, to be perfectly honest. Also, she can talk to the dog. <laughs> or more to the point, so you have this character, um, Korumaru, I believe his name is, um, who is a dog who is part of the party, and you can use him uh, in battles, and she translates for the dog. So, <laughs> But she's a lot like Cosmos, to be perfectly honest. Uh, very, very android-like, very deadpan humor, um, able to bring out lots of different weapons at a moment's notice. Um, and of course, she's searching for meaning in her life and all of that good stuff, as it were. But she, while slightly cliched and maybe not that interesting, and I, I actually think probably the choices on this list are more exciting than Aegis. Uh, it's either Cosmos or Aegis. Pick one. Right, um, thank you. I think uh, I, I think that she's still a noteworthy character, not the least because you can uh, totally get in a relationship with her. Oh, and doesn't she have a sister, or is that a different set of androids? Uh, in the fighting from... games, in the fighting games, Aegis's uh, sister starts showing up. Well, there you go. Uh, ultimately, I like what you were talking about. You know, it's always played for humor, but it's this androids are deadpan because they're very literal. I think ultimately that's going to be the destruction of humanity will be just a misunderstanding over some smart-ass comment one of us makes. Yeah, some <laughs> android is going to hear it and, uh, yeah, probably just say, oh, okay, they all want to die. There we go. Boop. Press that button. <laughs> what do you mean, break a leg? <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Very well. Exactly. I will help. <laughs> um, Very last... well, Mr. President. <laughs> yes, well, exactly. it's like Thor. That's why Thor in uh, the Marvel movies is so appealing because – he says everything. He takes everything literally, and he takes it in, literally in the most exuberant way possible. Yes. Yeah. And it continually refers to Rocket Raccoon as Rabbit, which is <laughs> that is. Really I, 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 I don't know why that's so funny, but yeah, it's, it's so fantastic. funny to me that he thinks Rocket Raccoon is a rabbit. Jesus, cat, goes, spoiler, rabbit! Spoilers, cat! Come on! I didn't want to know that about Infinity. <laughs> oh my God! What have I done? I didn't know Whoa. they met. I've only watched the uh, first four seconds of the trailer. Now you guys have me thinking of, like, Donald Trump talking to his Alexa. Alexa, press the big red button. No, not that big red button. No. That is probably how it'll end. That's how it's going to go down, right? That's more accurate. A dummy. (laughs) A a big dummy ruining it for everybody. Alexa, tweet for me. Here's what I want to say. Sorry. It wouldn't be a Laser Time episode if we didn't get some obligatory uh, political commentary. Oh, yeah. That, that, like, time-honored political humor. Love it when we do that. Um, so speaking of our fans, why don't we go out with the question of the week? Uh, tell us about your favorite Android in games. 
or pop culture. We'll let you do pop culture so all you Star Trek fans can get your datas in there. Um, you can answer the question of the week at the official Laser Time Facebook community or at vigigameapocalypse.com under the show notes for episode number 265. So let's go out with some plugs. Uh, how about you, Cat? What do you got to plug? Kitty Cat. Um, I work for a little website called US Gamer, and you should go check it out. We cover all of the news and the reviews and the features and all that stuff. We're kind of nerdy over there, and mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good thing. Uh, if you want to check out our near Automata coverage, we have some really actually great stuff because the reviewer, Katie McCarthy, played it, adored it. She did a really fantastic interview just this past TGC with Taro Yoko. And uh, I think it was definitely the best of the Taro Yoko interviews, if you, if I do say so Fair. myself. So I, I will you say I, know... I love your site because you guys do – you are able to do those kind of deep dive, more retrospective pieces from time to time. And I do quite enjoy reading those. They're well-researched. They're always – they give you that just that next level of information, stuff that I never have time to get to when I research these shows. Yeah, and I know that the Laser Time folks love well-researched kind of – in-depth listy type things and this isn't a list per se but i'm currently in the middle of a deep dive into uh campfires and camping and the meaning of all that in video games um Mm. it it finds expression in a lot of different ways in games and uh, the reason i was kind of turned on to that was because dark souls remastered is out this week so yes with the the fire checkpoints well we might have to have you back to talk about camps and camping (laughs) and campfires and video games for another vga yes you got to give it to that official coleman sponsorship and Final Fantasy 15. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yep. Yes, exactly. Sit by your cold uh, and lantern by the way, and have your uh, your your instant noodles, your your cup of noodles. Well, it, mm. Again, it was only weird for me because I did a lot of camping with my dad, and we just referred to the stove as the Coleman. So, like the second it showed up, it was very surreal for me then at the FF15 campfire. Oh man, I always thought Not you just in- were talking about going camping with Gary Coleman, and he was like yes. your camp chef or something. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, not an insult. I think the camping is the best part of Final Fantasy 15. It's pretty dope. I think yeah, it gives the most like, kind of the character moments because a lot of stuff happens and yeah, it's just it's just these dudes chilling at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And for trenchant insights like that, check out my RPG podcast, Ask the Blood God, which you can <laughs> subscribe to on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold where I break down podcasts every week with Nadia Oxford on Mondays. Uh, so go check that out too. I love it. Yeah. So usgamer.net, not to be confused with us gamer. Don't go to us gamer. Uh, yeah. Chris. Screw those guys. Oh, I'm going to switch up my plugs a little bit. Uh, first of Uh-oh. all, I want to plug something very serious, and and that's War for the Planet of the Apes. I just watched that again last night, and fucking, that movie is so goddamn great. And if you haven't seen it since the theater or at all, please check out the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, and especially the closer war. That movie is mm. so fun. Uh, <laughs> How about we make a laser time plug? Check out the video Chris did playing the Planet of the Apes games featuring Andy Serkis. Uh, God, how many months ago was that, Chris? Like four or five months ago? Yeah, now? it's weird. Like they, they accidentally released it like two months early and we got it. <laughs> and, yeah, and then they and, pulled it off the market and you got your video up luckily in time. So that's it. Yeah, and, and now I looked at it time. my I looked at it in my thing and it's locked. So I don't even know if I – is it out? Can I play this actually? Oh, uh, I just, don't know. As of just the other day, it was it, it's the only PSN game in my library with a fucking lock on it, but I paid for it. Um, and I also plug, I'll say, you know, you don't have to go see Solo this weekend. Maybe, maybe take in a Blade Runner 2049 uh, screening with Mega Man X. That's what I feel like doing right now. Uh, do that on Friday night. Mega Man X and Blade Runner 2049. 
But the real Mega, plugs. Mega Man. Let's go, give it to you. Mega Man 2039. Oh. He will give it to you, as will uh, Laser Time Network. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of Cosmos, there is a very, very irritating preacher who pronounces Cos- <laughs> Carl Sagan's oh Cosmos yes, that yes, exact that way in the, our oh. latest episode, which is all about uh, moral panics, which um, <laughs> oh, just, someone said we should have just called Angry Christians because it's just wonderful uh, audio clips of Christians from the late 70s, early 80s talking about how rock music, He-Man, Transformers, Smurfs, Thundercats will be the end of our era. Please and tell Pokemon me you did Harry Pokemon. Potter. Oh, of course. Oh my god. That's a big yeah. one. I, I love the guy describing it uh, who can't stop calling it something from the Orient the entire time. Like, <laughs> oh, wow. Pokemon, from the Orient. Pokemon is my favorite <laughs> Oriental Orient. game. Um, I want to uh, take my auto gyro. Yes, <laughs> I am. So personal aside, I mean, I've, I've been, I listened to that episode today, actually, and yeah. I have many of the things you cover in there. Um, I grew up going to a Christian school, and so I received the chick tracts uh, in yeah. middle school, warning really? me against the dangers of D&D. I, they did a whole seminar for us about the hidden satanic meetings of rock songs. And granted, yeah, there was some imagery in like, you know, some Led Zeppelin stuff. Jimmy Page got into the occult. But past that, everything was a stretch. And the, the beauty of this show on Laser Time this week is that these guys go to great lengths and everything is a stretch. They talk about how satanic E.T. is because of levitation, because he levitates people. Um, and then he just makes shit up. It's like, what? <laughs> he doesn't even mention that E.T. sort of has magic when he heals. Doesn't even go with the obvious stuff. They're just, they're just pulling shit out of the air. And that one guy just is like, oh, and E.T.'s gay as shit. Like, yeah. what? See, they mentioned there's there's hidden themes of homoeroticism. And we, were, I was like, when I was trying to remember all of E.T., I'm like, when the hell was that with Dude, E.T. cross-dressing as a doll? What? Go rub one out, man. There is nothing like happened. that in that movie. And, I remember uh, in 2000 finding a website that was basically would have been the Tumblr post of the day. It's just a <laughs> random – it was just a random domain. And it was a guy breaking down the Pokemon theme songs uh, frame by frame, showing how perverse it actually was and how it was promoting Satan. Uh, <laughs> it, it was definitely a thing. Uh, people really lost their mind over that back in the day. So yeah, it's a great episode, and if you want to support Laser Time and make sure wait, wait, more hold, episodes hold on, like that are on. produced, hold on, because uh, I think we talked about it in the episode. We uh, one of our buddies, uh, Jr. He he made, I believe he made an entire movie based on the Jack Chick comic series called Dark Dungeon, like, <laughs> and yes. we'll be streaming that on the Facebook community on Friday. So go to uh, go to facebook.com slash Laser Time Podcast and. Um, or yeah, today, today, when this today, releases, we'll be streaming it today. Uh, yeah, you can like watch the movie, and I think they'll be comment like the uh, actors and producers will be commentating, and it's 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 fucking cool, dude. It's a very like a very serious take on a Jack Chick comic strip. Yeah, and actually, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Daniel Daniel Trish, who joined us last week, um, he's been doing a lot of cool stuff like that on the official Laser Time Facebook community, which you can check out at um, I think it's Facebook.com/slash Laser Time Official or something like. If you just search for Laser Time on Facebook, it'll it'll pop up. And so, and, and Daniel, and Daniel partially expired, in, like pretty much inspired the Moral Panics episode. So another tip of the hat to him, yeah. uh, and another tip of the hat to uh, you, Maddie, because you and Michael did a Patreon exclusive God of War spoiler cast that went up this week, uh, and that yes. people really, really enjoyed that. We couldn't wait for you, but we were so excited after both platinuming, platinuming that game like nerds within like two or three days. We said we have to talk about this on Mike, and we couldn't wait for Chris, and so we got it out. 
And that is available for Patreon subscribers at the $5 or above level on yes. patreon.com slash laser time. As is, as is over 100 commentary, movie commentaries, uh, video commentaries, and uh, a new episode of Bonus Time where I talk to Diamond Dog Dave Rudden uh, about Deadpool 2 and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, look forward to that. Yeah. yeah. And as always, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. Uh, write a review. Stuff like that really does help us, folks. Tell a friend. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at VG Apocalypse or me personally at Maddie C. Allen. All thoughts there are bad and my own. So that's been this week's episode of VG Game Apocalypse. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And remember, don't hate the player or the game. moron what the hell are you doing why don't you just shut the hell up for once you moron you just shut the hell up okay